course I and I've learned a grisly skill They've taught me how to win a war Ten thousand ways to kill And all the vicious weapons To be used each time I fight Now I've become a weapon of such fearsome might I am no soldier I'm a man of war Hello and welcome to Lost Transmissions a Battlefleet Heresy miniseries of the Remembrancers Retreat. My name is Jesse. I'm here with Stephen and Austin, our hosts for today. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Doing pretty good. Living our best lives. Today, we are going to start talking about uh, the Legions and some of the classes of ships that they make good use of. Uh, we're going to start numerically because we are simple men, and we're going to talk about the Dark Angels. Uh, the Dark Angels are, celestially speaking, much like their ground-pounding counterparts, in that there's not a whole lot known about them uh, and the way they wage war, other than that they do it pretty ruthlessly, and they have a lot of fancy toys to bring to the fight. So what, what kind of rules do they have for your expansion to Battlefleet Gothic? So uh, in the Battlefleet Heresy rule set, Dark Angels, survivors of the Dark Age, the Dark Angels favor powerful, archaic weaponry and bring more of it more easily to their battle to the battle than their brother legions. Their Gloriana is the invincible reason. Uh, the Dark Angels have one special rule, like everybody else. It's called Legacies of Old Night. The First Legion has unique access to ancient vessels denied to other fleets, and these relics of humanity's nightmarish past are often seen leading Dark Angels fleets in the void. Dark Angels may take one less cruiser or light cruiser before they are allowed to take a heavy battle or grand cruiser or battleship. So instead of a one, no, not battleship, sorry. So instead of a one to two ratio, normally you have to take two lighter cruisers before you can take one of the big ones. Mm -hmm. uh, Dark Angels take them at a one to one. So for every one regular cruiser or light cruiser, the Dark Angels can bring a battle cruiser, a grand cruiser, heavy cruiser yeah okay that makes things very difficult for the enemy because you can get some nasty ships um, mm -hmm. where they're not really expecting you to have as nasty a ship because you know you only have five foot like in a 750 point game you can take more and cooler ships well not more but cooler ships than your opponent Mm -hmm. In a thousand points, a Dark Angel's fleet can bring a Styx heavy cruiser with a Stardust crew, uh, two strike cruisers with extra shields, a Hades cruiser with a Stardust crew and Terminators, and like four escorts. Uh, which example. between the strike cruisers and the Styx is a lot of launch capacity, and between the Hades and the escorts is a whole lot of guns. Yeah, you can really get some nasty combinations going on, whereas other fleets are bringing kind of more your typical cruisers because they just can't. Like, you'll have maybe a sticks for your carrier support and a couple of normal cruisers, and one for one, ship for ship, they're not going to be as good as you as a, a Dark Angel player. Which, as a Dark Angels player, I'm sure you'll appreciate. Yeah. To, uh, to match one sticks heavy cruiser um a player who isn't dark angels 
would have to bring, say, uh, three strike cruisers or two dictators. Which does unfortunately mean that Dark Angels players, uh, their main strength is going to be tied up in single ships. They won't have quite the numerical superiority that another fleet might bring. So sort of like an elite fleet along the lines of yeah. like the Mechanicum or whatnot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not quite as ridiculous as like a Mechanicum fleet can be because they have some other shenanigans. Lower lower ship count, but more effect. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the Hades compared to its uh, smaller equivalent, the Murder, packs two more lances on its dorsal uh, section, no less. So, no matter where you are in relation to the Hades, it's still going to be able to put two lances into you that a Murder wouldn't be able, wouldn't be able to fire. Yep. So you're not like wildly better from the perspective of your entire fleet. Um, but again, on just sort of a ship-for-ship basis, you're going to be able to do bad things to people. Mm-hmm. And you will be much better at uh, at winning a, a protracted brawl than than any other anyone anyone else, provided it's you know a quote-unquote fair fight. Um, if you want to be fancy, you can bring the Invincible Reason into your fleet. It is 465 points. Ooh, ah. Uh, it is initially based off the Desolator profile, so it is a battleship with four shields, five turrets, uh, four 60-centimeter lance batteries on both the port and starboard side, a dorsal bombardment cannon compared to a uh, dorsal weapons battery with a firepower of 10, and it has prow vortex torpedoes instead of regular torpedoes. Oh, no, so. Now... Yeah. If you remember from our Ordnance episode, uh, Vortex Torpedoes are a specialist torpedo, which for every point of damage caused, Vortex Torpedoes automatically do a critical hit. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's not fucking around. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it really they... doesn't take more than a couple critical hits for your ship to be kind of worthless. Uh, or very close to dead. Um, additionally, most ships, in fact all ships, that have specialist torpedoes can only fire one wave of them before they have to switch back to regular. The Invincible Reason does not run out of Vortex torpedoes. Oh, well. Just as long as it's reloading, you are going to suffer critical hits. And then as a nice little uh, benefit on top of it, the Invincible Reason does not suffer a negative shift on the gunnery table for firing through blast markers or, more importantly, outside of 30 centimeters. So that dorsal bombardment cannon, 60 centimeters. You would think, okay, well, it's going to take, it's going to lose a good number of shots for having to fire at such a long range. Not if it's the invincible reason, homie. <laughs> yep. Wow. It just do not care. Um, and really, like, all of these Glorianas are based, I think as Stephen may have mentioned, on a battleship profile that we felt most riddle, or What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, typifies, I guess, what the Emulates. fluff says. Yeah, what what the fluff says a particular Gloriana is kind of about. Uh-huh. And then we just sort of turned that notch up to like 13. Just yep. right past 11, straight to 13. They're insane. <laughs> um, 
we've got even crazier rules for them. Um, so this is sort of like, I want to bring the Invincible Reason, but still have a relatively fun game with my opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, we have other rules that we've been working on that are just straight up. Yeah, so you know how the books, they solo like half a fleet on their own, like it's no big deal? This is that. So it's like the movie Marine Gloriana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have that's real, pretty good real Gloriana's and a movie Marine Gloriana. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, you know, fuck it. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, in addition to a whole bunch, like two whole pages of special rules, specifically four narrative Gloriana's, as they're called, uh, we really just took the profile for uh, a regular Gloriana, quote unquote regular, and just jacked it up into the sky. Uh, so the Invincible Reason as a narrative Gloriana goes from being a Battleship 12 to Battleship 24. Still the same number of speed and turns, uh, but it has eight shields, it has six up armor, it has seven turrets. Those port <laughs> and lance batteries have been replaced, or the, yeah, the port and starboard port lance starboard, batteries. Yeah. Yep, instead of four, are 12. And the dorsal bombardment cannon, instead of 10, is 30. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> what in the world? It still keeps not. It still has nine proud vortex torpedoes, though, so don't worry oh, too okay, much. Thank god. You can only have but so many giant holes in the ship. Um, but you gotta remember, like, the Glorianas are wildly larger than a battleship. Mm-hmm. Um, something like three times the size is a description given for one of them. Um, they're super massives, and they act like it. Uh, in our sort of movie marine version of all of these. We don't recommend you take them. We really don't. Like, if you want a super cool narrative, here I am with my big toy, and you've got your big toy, and let's roll a bunch of dice, they're a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Um, but as you can tell, they're a little OP. <laughs> yeah. They're... And like I said... But if you got even, a taste for danger, go for it. Even yeah. if that profile was all that they had going for them, they'd be dangerous. But it's not. Again, two pages of special rules. We'll get to that another day. But yeah, the Invincible Reason yeah. is here, and you are going to be sad. Mm. Yep. It's a fun time. Um, we also like the Dark Angels uh, because they are such like a weird fucking legion with all sorts of stuff. Um, in the, the main podcast the other day, we talked about the Dark Sovereign, which is just some random <laughs> ship that's from like before the dark age of humanity and the golden age of technology, just insane for a light cruiser. Um, so like we've got rules for experimental ships, check it out. Uh, and that's how you make all of those weird one-offs that fleets like the dark angels have. Do you want to spend some time right now and see what we can do with an experimental ship? Hmm. Well, Let's see. Oh yeah, yeah. I've built the Dark Sovereign. I think I mentioned it in the uh, the main cast. We can talk about it again. Yeah, yeah it seems like a good me. place for it. Tell us a story. Yeah. So the Dark Sovereign is this weird as shit uh, Dark Angels vessel that's mentioned in Book Six, book six yeah. of the Black Books on page sixty six ish is where it starts, and it goes into some fun about what it looks like, and what it does. And it does some shenanigans. Uh, It's described as being, like, not just a strike cruiser. So from that, I figured, well, if you're comparing it to a strike cruiser, 
rather than like a battleship or an escort or something else, it's probably strike cruiser size. So I mm-hmm. decided it would be a light cruiser, which means six hull points. Uh, and in the experimental ships, hull points are five points each, right? Um, and I decided, you know, six up armor because it's a strike cruiser. So that's 20 points. Uh, it's got 25 centimeters worth of speed. Uh, so that's another five points. Uh, gave it two turrets just to be a little better than normal uh, for a light cruiser and two shields because it does some crazy stuff. And then we get into the weapons. Um, it's described mostly as having batteries, which doesn't actually tell you anything um, because both weapons batteries and lance batteries are batteries. Um, but it does solo a significant portion of a Mechanicum like crazy transporter fleet. Uh, so it's obviously heavily armed. So I gave it three prow lances, um, which is sort of the standard lance armament for a light cruiser. Uh, and that was uh, lances are nine points per point of strength for just the standard 30 centimeter lances. And I figured that nothing would be especially long range on this ship because it's described as hiding out, uh, I think, in a gas giant and kind of ambushing. It's like a knife so fighter. Ass- it gets in yeah. and just. Yeah. So I assumed it wouldn't be wouldn't be crazy long range. Um, and then I gave it a sort of unique weapons layout. I gave it port starboard bombardment cannon at strength five, but instead of the traditional just port and starboard, they're both like port forward and starboard forward because of the description uh, of what it looks like. It's said to have a pretty much continuous hull. Um, So while like the Imperial Navy ships and chaos ships have like, you know, trim and weird blocky outcroppings at places and antenna and all of that. This ship doesn't. Uh, it's also described as blade shaped. And it takes me back to kind of the harder sci fi that I read. You want a ship when you're fighting in space to not do what the Imperials and everything in Battle of the Gothic does. Like, you don't want them to have a port and starboard, and that's the only directions they fire, you want your guns to be able to fire in as many directions as possible. Um, And if you combine that with the knife-shaped profile, if you do it right, you can have a blade, because you know know how a knife kind of has... gets a little fatter in the center, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So if you stacked your weapons correctly, you could have them firing left and right, but also be able to swing forward and bear on a target directly in front. Sure. Uh, and this gives it a truly hellacious amount of firepower, because then suddenly that's 10 bombardment cannon and three lances to the front at 30 centimeters. And that's real rude. Uh, it also has two prow launch bays, because described as dumping uh, Charybdis and Kaistuses everywhere. Uh, I decided on two because at one point it mentions it launches enough Charybdis to go after two different targets, which implies two separate squadrons. Um, And all of this comes up to a lovely 205 points on the experimental shell list for the Dark Sovereign. It's not too bad, um, but if you compare it to the other light cruisers in the game, I don't think there's a single light cruiser. Yeah, there's not a single light cruiser that tops 150, and most of them are in the like 110 
115 point range. Yeah, uh, the strike so cruiser is, is the only thing that gets close at 145. Yeah, so it is real nasty for what it does. But there's an interesting bit of fluff uh, in Book 6 that talks about the Dark Sovereign, when it makes its attack, it screws with the Mechanicum, uh, the Dark Mechanicum ships that it's fighting, because the Dark Mechanicum thinks, okay, this ship that looks weird has just come out uh, of the gas giant, and it's real close, so it's going to turn its broadside and butcher us. And it doesn't do that. Instead, it reroutes all the power from its guns to its shields, sails right into the middle of everything, kind of absorbs the initial fire from the fleet that's lined up against it, and then when it's in the middle of them and the enemy ships can't uh, get it in arc as well, it just starts blowing the shit out of everybody. So I thought about how to make that work, because this is not something, and like this for me really pegs it as not a dark age of technology, dark age sort of ship, but like golden age uh -huh. ship, because yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. Like, <laughs> you can't transfer your weapon power to shields, right? It's not a thing that happens uh, in the fluff, in the regular BFG. No. Your weapons are... Even even your lasers can't really do it. Um, so while I gave it bombardment cannon, really that's to represent whatever esoteric plasma battery shit that's going down. Uh, and I gave it the rule power transfer. So the Dark Sovereign is crazy and can transfer shields uh, to weapons and back again for short periods, which lets it withstand or inflict damage wildly out of proportion to its size and class. So that's its own separate rule that you made up. Yes, this is a separate gotcha. rule that I was just kind of messing with in my head. I got you. Um, so at the start of your turn, you may declare the Dark Sovereign is transferring power to shields or to weapons. Um, you can only use it if it's not crippled and doesn't have shield collapse, port, prow, or starboard weapons damage. So it has to be, you know, in good shape. And then if you use power transfer, you can't do it for the following two turns. Um, and that's more for my own sanity and balance <laughs> rather than anything in the fluff. Because um, otherwise it could get real dumb. So if you transfer power to shields, you don't fire but you get a three-up save against any attack that would hit your shields. Pretty good. Which is real, real nice. Then if you transfer power to guns, oh, and, and so if you do this and get the three-up save against shields, you can't fire any weapons, you can't fire your turrets, you can't launch ordnance. All the power has been transferred to just staying alive. Just for that turn, though, right? Just for that turn. Okay. Um... So, like, you declare it in your turn, it would last through the enemy's turn. The start of your turn again, it goes away. Gotcha. Um, and this also doesn't stop you from taking orders. So you can do this and brace for impact and be as close to invulnerable as you're going to get in this game. Um, additionally, torpedoes and bombers and all that sort of nonsense that normally go through your shields don't. So it's just turns, like, the voids, which are normally set to, like, not like let things as slow as fighters through, suddenly they're repelling every grain of sand in the universe, and it's crazy. Uh, so, if you decide to go the other way with it and transfer power to guns, the bombardment cannon counters firing at defenses and suffer no negatives for blast markers. 
regardless of the target's size or orientation. And lances score two hits on a roll of six. Uh, and then your shields are reduced to zero until the start of your next turn. That's pretty cool. Which means that you're rolling eight dice for your bombardment cannon at whatever you're shooting at. Or, I'm sorry, nine dice uh, at whatever you're shooting at for whatever reason. Remembering that they hit on fours and do critical damage on fours. And then the lances will get you double hits on sixes. And it's real <laughs> rude. Um, Experimental ships. Yeah. Like it's so in in the fluff, it goes through heavy transports like instantly. Uh, and in Battlefleet Gothic, those have six hull points and a shield apiece. Uh, so I gave it the ability to do that, and that means it's also real nasty against actual ships. Um, so yeah, maybe if we ever do like a famous ships of the Horus Heresy sort of supplement, uh, Dark Sovereign will be in there with those crazy rules. But you can at least give it the weapons and shields and all of that uh, just in our experimental ships. And that's exciting. Neat. Yep. Which, uh, yeah, I guess is as good a segue as any into actual classes of ships. So I know we talked a little bit about sh ship classes in the first episode. Mm -hmm. Yes. But we so didn't we, cover a few, um, right? Yeah, we're going to yeah. cover a couple. Um Talk Mostly about some grand cruisers. Yep, think, those right? are. Mm, yeah, we can go with grand cruisers. I love grand cruisers. I yeah. think they are just—they're super cool as far as I'm concerned. They—they uh, they don't perform as well as I would like to, with the exception of one. <laughs> That's but, true. Uh, but they are these sorts of relic ships uh, that the Imperium. Like they, it's never expressly said that they're like not being built during the Horus Heresy, and I'm sure they are. Um, but they certainly represent sort of a lot of pre-Imperium ships. You know, they're going to be Grand Cruisers because they don't really fit in with the standard Imperial, like, what should a ship be? Mm -hmm. And they're typically too heavy to be uh, regular cruisers anyway. Yeah, but not big enough to, like, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a battleship. They're in a weird spot. But as Steven says, we love them. Which one we yeah, they're cool. They're, they're Grand Cruisers, um, typically, at least in my experience, are... Uh, they're unsubtle vessels. They have a pretty specific purpose, and it's to get up on the enemy and just drown them in weight. Uh, Grand Cruisers sport 10 hull points, typically, which makes them slightly more durable than a typical cruiser. And they usually have at least three shields. So they're they're a little they take a little more firepower to put down, uh, while simultaneously in return putting out a little bit more firepower than your average cruiser. Uh, they can be classified. They have the Retaliator, the Avenger, the Vengeance, the Governor, the Dagon, <coughs> Repulsive, uh, Exorcist. Grand Cruisers. And uh, we're going to talk about those a little bit. My personal favorite is the Avenger Grand Cruiser. It is 220 points, and it has one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to barrel straight between enemy ships and just start lashing out with its Firepower 16 weapons batteries. Yeah, um, it's, the little fluff... 
it, the the little fluff that we've written for it is um, a mainstay line breaker of the Armada Imperialis. Bedecked in gun decks and sporting a sleek profile, the Avenger has always been employed best by barreling headlong into enemy formations and savagely lashing out at every target in range. So occupied is the foe by the Avenger in their midst that they are shortly outmaneuvered by the rest of the fleet. While eschewed by many Space Marine legions as inelegant and needlessly risky, you can't see me but I'm doing air quotes, the Avenger has found kindred souls among the fleets of the World Leaders, Iron Hands, and Death Guards. The former do not bulk easily from charges that most would consider ill-advised, while the latter stubbornly meet the enemy headlong, handing out a mauling twice as what they receive. And that really does, like, sum what an Avenger does. Like Steven yep. said, it's, it's not subtle. Um, its armor isn't exactly what you'd want for something that's got to run straight at the enemy but only goes 20 centimeters. Uh, unlike the Imperial ships, or the Imperial Navy vessels in the list, that have a six-up prow, this is just five-up all around. Um, which makes it a little bit squishier than you would like, even with the ten hull points and three shields. Uh, that being said, if you can get it in between two enemy ships, uh, preferably at like 15 centimeters, so you're getting a good shift, 16 firepower will make things go away real fast. Locked um, on, I have seen it erase squadrons of five escorts at a time, just in one volley. Yeah, so it's like, if it hits a capital ship, even at the side, so the worst possible shot against a capital ship, it's still throwing six dice, and normally it's, you know, eight, eleven, you start getting in close, you're getting them in the front or the, side, or the rear, and that that can cripple you in a go, um, which isn't something that a lot, that especially cruisers can say all that often. Yeah, um, even kind of right in that perfect amount of firepower. Yeah, even braced, an Avenger Grand Cruiser still throws out eight weapons batteries, which is more than a lot of cruiser. Yeah, um, and that really just kind of sums up Grand Cruisers is they have they tend to have a lot of whatever it is they do have. Uh, a lot of lances, a lot of weapons batteries. Um, and they'll, they'll just, they're, 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 uh, what's the, how does, boy, Dan Carlin used a, a good phrase in hardcore history that I remember, and now I can't think of it, but they're just sluggers. Because yeah. you can't outlast them, and you can't outdamage them. They may be slow, and they may be kind of dumb, but... <laughs> Yeah, if, if you are foolish enough to let them get where they want to be, you will have a bad time. For the most part, anyway. I would say a ship that is the opposite of that, um, probably the worst of the Grand Cruisers, although I hate to say it, um, is the Vengeance Grand Cruiser. It's 230 points, so 10 points more than the Avenger. Um, same basic speed turn, shields, armor, turrets, all that. Port and starboard weapons batteries of six, and then port and starboard lances of two. We already have stats for that, and it's called the Lunar Class Cruiser. Um, Which is considerably cheaper. <laughs> considerably cheaper. And uh, uh, so you're paying, let me see, I've got the stats out here. Yeah, so the Lunar, 50, I think. the Lunar is, 100 and, is 180 points has the six-up armor in the front, 
one less shield and turret, and two less hull points, but also prow torpedoes. Um, so, yeah. The Vengeance is not a great ship. I'll be the first to say it. Um, yep. And, and it is. It's even described as considered something of a failed experiment in ship design. Um, <laughs> it has a lack of dorsal and prior weapons, which makes it very clumsy to engage, and it has to do broadsides. Um, it is... I mean, it still pushes out six weapons batteries and two lances. It's not that it has no shots. Um... Grand cruisers tend to work real being... well as raids, I find. Yeah, if it can be kind of your like flagship in smaller games, they do well. And the Vengeance, again, it's expensive, but it's not a terrible ship. Um, and like in, in the fluff, they were being phased out, even in the Heresy, um, and kind of being relegated to, you know, mothballed, or hey, you're one of the, oh god, what's the name of it? The fleets they'd had, um, not the expeditionary fleets, but the ones they formed specifically. The Bastion the fleets. fleets? Yeah, the Bastion fleets. Uh, these would probably find themselves in Bastion fleets because they're not great, but they're not terrible, and if, you know, the Admiral gives you 20, you're going to give somebody a bad time. Uh, but yeah, it makes me a little sad. On the other hand, you have uh, the Governor-class Grand Cruiser. Which is exciting. Uh, this is one we discovered recently, actually. It's kind of new yeah, to us. It's actually our newest edition. So uh, it's one of the first classes of ship, of warships built specifically for the Great Crusade. Uh, although it fell out of favor once the ability to create new Desolator class battleships was rediscovered, uh, they are still considered excellent flagships for smaller expeditionary fleets. Uh, and again, the Bastion fleets, by the time of the Heresy, probably have piles of them. Uh, it's got very long-range firepower and just kind of is supposed to sit back and wail away at the enemy. It's also uh, a common sight among road traders and militants. This would be one of those ships that, you know, the Armada Imperialis, the Legions, they don't really want anymore. Um, and hey, if you just got your warrant of trade, you know what, buddy? Here's this brand new Governor-class Grand Cruiser. By brand new, I mean it's two centuries old and we don't want it anymore. Go to work. And its armaments are deceptively good. Now, it only has four four lances on each side. So that's, you know, a Gothic-class cruiser. Not very impressive. But they're 45 centimeters, and it has a 60-centimeter dorsal weapons battery at strength six. And this is the sweet spot, because the big problem with... The Gothic is that four lances are great if the enemy has no shields. But if he has shields, they're never going to kill anything. You get a weapons battery that can go front, left, right, and suddenly the weapons batteries can drop the shields, and then you're looking down the barrel of four lances, you're going to take a couple of points of damage. Uh, it also has prow torpedoes, the standard 30 centimeter strength 6 torpedo salvo, which is pretty nice, and it's 250 points. So, maybe ever so slightly pricey for what it does. Maybe it's a decent deal. Um, it's 50 points cheaper than the Desolator battleship, which is what it's a smaller version of. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I really like it. I like the idea of it. Um, because it can. like It can sit back at 45 centimeters and just wail away at things at long range. 
uh, which is something not a lot of ships do well. Uh, because normally when a ship has long-range guns, it's more weapons batteries and fewer lances. And the difference between like six weapons batteries and ten weapons batteries when you're shooting at over 30 centimeters is like one die sometimes. So I'd rather have a long-range lance-heavy firepower with just a couple of weapons batteries to plink a shield or two if I lock on. It's a fun ship. I'm about it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, the, my other favorite Grand Cruiser, uh, formerly known as the Repulsive, but we started looking at stuff and we realized, oh no, the Repulsive wasn't commissioned until M34, 3,000 years after the Heresy. Oops. Oh no. Um, but we'd seen the Dagon name show up in a couple of books, so we just renamed it. Uh, the Dagon-class Grand Cruiser, formerly known as the Repulsive, 230 points. Uh, another... 10 hull point, 3 shields, 3 turret cruiser. Uh, 14 weapons batteries on both sides. 3 dorsal lances and 6 torpedoes. Uh, It shares a spot with the governor as kind of a grand cruiser that behaves more like a typical imperial or chaos cruiser. In that it has the weapons to fight any enemy. um, But it's more durable than almost anything that's going to try and take it on, take it in a one-on-one fight. Um, yeah, and it is. And so it the weapon batteries are forty-five centimeters. Uh, Sorry, so talking over you. <laughs> it, it uh for ten points as well, bumping it up to two forty. Ten points cheaper than the governor. Uh, it can increase the range of its dorsal lance batteries to forty-five centimeters. Which fourteen weapons batteries at forty-five centimeters? Sure, you're gonna you're gonna take a bad shift for firing that far, um, and you're probably not gonna end up with more than five or six shots. But five or six shots is all you need to bring down shields. And if you pay that extra ten points, that is almost guarantee at least two hull points off of whatever you're shooting at with that lance battery next. Yeah, it's it's funny because the the Dagon and the Governor are both trying to do the same thing and using opposite techniques to get there. Um, and really, like, even though the dorsal weapons battery on the Governor is 60 centimeters, when it's just that, that's not huge. That's not scoring you a lot of damage. Um, so really, paying that extra 10 points, the Dagon is 10 points cheaper than the Governor. Both of them are doing the nasty things at 45. It's just sort of, what do you like better? You like weapons batteries? You like lances? They both have torpedoes. It'll be a fun time. Uh, and again, these are great little like kind of pocket flagships if you're playing smaller games. You know, you don't have the points to bring a battleship. You want something cool. Uh, They're perfect for Dark Angels, really. Um, yeah. Especially you if you're take... doing those. You start off with 1,000 points or 1,500 points for a campaign, and you can bring a nice, strong Grand Cruiser to uh, to be the the flagship and the linchpin of the fleet. Well, let's let's play it out a little bit. So, for five hundred points, less than five hundred points, right? So you can take them one to one with other cruisers. So you bring a Dauntless, which is one hundred and ten points, uh, and then you take a Dagon Grand Cruiser with the increased lances, and that's four hundred and fifty points. You can still shove three Cobras in there for a five hundred point list. And that's real nasty. And, you know, Give double that. Of what you need. 
double that for a thousand points, and suddenly you've got a really rough little fleet that has a couple of Dauntless that are running around the flanks, and a couple of Grand Cruisers that are just barreling, you know, into range, saying, "Come do something about it." And the answer yeah. is a lot of the time, not a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Dagon, the Governor, even the Avenger, hell, even the Vengeance will probably outduel any single cruiser that your opponent will throw at it at 500 points. Oh, absolutely. And we're not done yet, because there is one more Grand Cruiser, and uh, it's real fun. It's the Exorcist-class Grand Cruiser, 230 points. Uh, now, this one, by the heresy, was very, very kind of at the end of its main life expectancy. Uh, it had just started to be phased out for the Mars class. However, Mars classes were so rare because they were just coming online that most people were still running around with exorcists. Um, they're great for long range patrols and can operate more or less on their own because it's a carrier. Um, and it was great for, like I said, those sort of marauding patrol groups or smaller expeditionary fleets, because you can have this exorcist and maybe two or three squadrons of escorts, and then, bam, you can run along and uh, dump off a couple of army regiments onto a planet using the launch capacity of the exorcist. You can have a little you know, pirate hunting group. Uh, again, this is one that rogue traders probably liked. Do a whole bunch of fun stuff with, because it you know, has that attack craft capability and is good to run around on its own. Um, these were big for the traders as well, uh, especially for dropping mortal auxiliaries onto loyal worlds for the dark compliance. And these are one of those ships that we envision staying behind. Um, they're not the line breakers that some of the other Grand Cruisers are, um, but they're really great if you have, you know, three planets you've just conquered and one ship that needs to make sure they all stay conquered, the Exorcist is your girl. So she's got that same, you know, five up armor, three shields, ten hull points sort of thing all the other Grand Cruisers do. Uh, has port and starboard launch bays that can launch a total of four squadrons between them, which can take fighters, bombers, and assault boats. Uh, as standard, and then of course if they're a Legion vessel, you can swap out or include Thunderhawks uh, in there as well. And then port and starboard weapons batteries that are 45 centimeters and 8 firepower apiece. Um, and this is fun, because my, my go-to ship for a carrier capacity is a Dictator-class cruiser, which is great, and has the same amount of launch phase as the Exorcist, but has less firepower and only at 30 centimeters, which means that it kind of gets caught either not using its weapons batteries at all because it's trying to stay away from the enemy and launch squadrons, or kind of being up in the business and not really being able to reload ordnance because it has to brace for impact or lock on or whatever. Uh, the Exorcist, 45 centimeter range, means it can stay back far enough to dump out uh, squadrons of fighters and bombers and what have you, but still be able to plink away at the enemy with the weapons batteries, and their weapons batteries are strong enough that, one, they have an effect when they're plinking away at long range, and two, if the enemy does get something in close, uh, it can fight it off. 
if it's just, you know, a light cruiser or a cruiser, which is fun because, like, Steven has a Styx that he likes to use for his carrier capacity, and I can get a Dauntless light cruiser up in there, and the Styx just doesn't really have an answer for it because it doesn't have the fire. Yeah, it doesn't have the firepower to fight it off. Um, so it relies on, you know, other ships keeping it safe. The Exorcist can keep itself safe. Yeah. Yep. And as far as uh, of the Grand Cruisers that have carrier capacity, which is the Exorcist and I believe the Repri- Retaliator, uh, the Retaliator just trades out some of those batteries for lances. Uh, I think the Exorcist is a lot better at providing defense for itself and for its fleet. Um, because even if you bring, you know, even if your exorcist is your only carrier, four squadrons of fighters is fantastic defense against torpedoes, bombers, attack craft. And again, in those small games or small starts to campaigns, the Dark Angels can just take one. It's like, all right, cool, here we go. Now we're protected. Yay! And it's fun. Uh, so yeah, the last ship that we're talking about for Grand Cruisers is the Retaliator. Uh, like Steven said, it's pretty much the same, except that it its port and starboard weapons batteries are only 30 centimeters, firepower 6. And it's got 45 centimeter port and starboard lances, as well as the launch bays for a total of four squadrons. Uh, the lances are only firepower 2, so you know if you're not locked on, one hit. Uh, and the weapons batteries are shorter ranged. And it kind of, I think, provides almost a different role from the Exorcist. Because the Exorcist has enough weapons battery at 45 that it can be concerning for like a damaged capital ship or a light cruiser um, or an escort squadron. The Retaliator, the weapons batteries, I view purely defensive. They're only 30 centimeter range. You don't want your carriers to be that close most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless you're trying to shotgun bombers into a target. Yeah, yeah. But even then, um, you've still got a ways to go. Yeah, but the lances are 45 centimeters. And what two lances are really good for is if the rest of your fleet has just laid into an enemy ship. And a lot of the times you'll get it down to, you know, one or two hull points because it's braced or, you know, you just don't have any weapons left to kill it. And you're looking around going, God, I, I need to do one more hit to this ship. I have nothing in range. If that happens to you a lot, the Retaliator is the Grand Cruiser carrier for you. Because lances don't do as much damage as weapons batteries or don't have the capacity uh, but what they do do is reliably do that one point of damage that you need to finish off a ship. And interestingly enough, I guess it's uh, the Retaliator has dreams of being an Avenger. I'm not sure. Uh, but if you decide to go under all ahead full of the Retaliator, you get to go 5d6 like you're a Slaughter or a Dauntless. Which is wild. And I'm not like... Um, there are there are plenty of missions where you randomly come in at a random point on the table uh, where that'll shine. In a normal like fleet engagement, I can't imagine why you'd want to. But Battlefleet Gothic, Battlefleet Heresy has enough kind of crazy fun missions that sometimes you'll want to go fast, even with something that 
should not be going fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a bizarre trait for the Retaliator. The only, the only thing I can think of is if maybe you take, say there's a target that is, like you said, you know, the rest of the fleet has laid into it and it's, it's still limping along with one or two hull points. And you're like, well, damn it, how am I supposed to get over there? All ahead full. All yeah, ahead full and pump out pump out your one squadron of either two fighters <laughs> or a, of two bombers or a bomber and a fighter and just dive bomb that crippled cruiser and try yeah, to get the last couple points good, off. That's a good point, because normally when something like that happens, you kind of look around at where your light cruisers are and send them through the breach. The problem with that, though, is that because they're only six hull point and one shield, if they don't go as far as you need them to on the all-ahead full orders, or, you know, you've got to be in the middle of the enemy fleet to get that long-range shot on the ship running away, they tend to get the shit pounded out of them in return. Uh, losing four hull points on a Dauntless is a death sentence. Losing four hull points on the Retaliator, That's not Tuesday. Great, not terrible. You'll be all right. But yeah, and, all uh, of these are fun choices for Dark Ages, because they can just, you know, bring a light cruiser, get a grand cruiser. Very yeah, cool. And if you want to be really froggy, you can uh, make that grand cruiser an experimental grand cruiser. You know, maybe you like the Avenger, but you wish that it uh, had more armor or extra or an extra shield. Just uh, experimental ship that bitch straight into where you want it. You know, maybe you think the Vengeance Grand Cruiser could go for more weapons batteries or longer range uh, lances. Experimental ship, baby. Yep. You want to launch attack? You want to launch assault boats with your retaliator? Experimental ships. Boy, do I have a plan for you. But I think that's, uh, I think that's largely it for the Dark Angels and for Grand Cruisers, you know? We've still got plenty of big ships to talk about, but we also have plenty of time to record more episodes. That's true. Yeah, we do. So we'll save that for another time. Yep. So uh, tune in next episode. We will talk about the third legion, Emperor's Children. There you go. And uh, speaking of light cruisers, they make excellent use of them. So maybe we'll get into that a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, all right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but first and foremost, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you like this show, be sure to leave a uh, nice review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. You can go find us on Facebook and Twitter at RR30K Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Remembrancers Retreat. You can also uh, send us a voicemail at 1929Heresy1. That's 1929Heresy1. If you're interested in uh, supporting us financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash rr30k podcast. And I'd like to thank all our patrons here in a second once I pull it up on the page here. I want to thank everyone here, starting with uh, Alex Soth, who is our top pledger. Thank you very much. Our Praetor Tier, Jason Tick, Jacob Dillon, Matthew Boyce, Josh Phillips, Mr. Baldwick, Jason Boyd. Joe Kirkus, Joe from Music City Heresy, and Chris Mack. Our Centurion tier, Scott LeMay, Andrew N., Black Label Painting, Minis by Applesauce, Angry Boy, 
John Christensen and Mark Henry and M. Hernandez. And finally, our Sergeant Tier Aaron Maynard, Garrett Lowe, Travis Smith, Duncan, and Emily O'Hare. Thank you all very much for supporting us. Again, if you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash rr30k podcast. And now, yes, an announcement. Which, it's with time. any luck, well, you can do this right now. I just realized that we're recording this and this probably won't be released like three weeks from now. Well, we got to tell somebody. So okay. we're telling That's our fine. listeners. It'll, it'll be there when our stuff gets here. Yeah. So um, thanks to the never-ending benevolence of Grandfather Nurgle, uh, Austin and I have finally had time to finish the long-promised and much-anticipated Battlefleet Gothic Red Book. Well, presumably much-anticipated. At least two people yeah. are looking forward to it. Steven and I can't wait to get our hands on <laughs> yeah, That's much. Yeah, two people is much in a group of three. Uh, this is a 153-page book that we've put together, uh, 55. compiling 55. Oh, we're up to 55 yeah. now. 155-page yeah. book compiling uh, all of the rules that we've written for Battlefleet Heresy, all of the Legion rules, um, all of the uh, ships that are legal. We've uh, we've gone ahead and consolidated all of their upgrades, all of their profiles, all of their points, values, everything. It's huge. Um, it is not only a compilation of all the Battlefleet Heresy information, but it's also an update uh, you could call this fourth edition. Uh, it has scenarios. It has alternating activations. It has expanded rules for Glorianas. Uh, uh, alternating ordinance rules. Appeals tables. It's got everything. Subplots. We got subplots. Subplots. <laughs> the experimental ship rules are compiled into it as well. So Dark Angels players, you know what you should do. Yay. And yep. a fun list of all the ships that aren't in Battlefleet Heresy and why. Just yep. in case. <laughs> Just in case you think to yourself, hey, why isn't this in there? Well, you can go to page... Uh... Nope. That's not it. <laughs> It'll be a searchable PDF. It'll whatever. be a searchable PDF as well, right? <laughs> yeah. And that'll be available on our website. Um... Shortly? Shortly, by the end of today, one hundred and thirty-six, one hundred page, one hundred thirty-five, one hundred thirty-six. That's right. It will be online. Yeah, if you haven't checked our website out, rr30k.com. I can't believe I didn't plug that. Be sure to go to rr30k.com and you can find the Battlefleet Heresy Master Compendium. Now, this red book, this is still an expansion, so you still need the basic rules to play. Correct? Yes, mm -hmm. we haven't. We haven't like stolen rules straight out of the BFG rulebook or anything like that. We're not trying to get sued by GW any more than we, you know, are likely to get sued by GW. Um, so yeah, you'll still need to like have the rules of Battlefleet Gothic, which are free online all over the place. Um, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, don't don't worry about. I mean, that. if the uh, if the uh, Mournival guys haven't been yet, I think we'll be okay. Right. Yeah, right? that's probably true. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys, for paving the way. Yay. And if you can't, or even if you can find those rules free online, you can always feel free to email GW and say, Hey, GW, I want to play the Battle of Fall. 
and these two ass clowns wrote rules for heresy <laughs> and the Battle of Fall, and I didn't like it. GW, surely you can do better. Please, do Battlefleet Gothic again. Yeah, that's true. And if they this do is, Battlefleet uh... Gothic again, we won't even be mad about it. Yeah, we'll be happy. It'll be so good. So good. so good. But it's done in the style of the um, the black books and the red books. So if you open it up and you look into it, it'll look just like your 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 Horus Heresy books that you can get off of Forge World. Just way, way lower quality. Close. <laughs> <laughs> y'all, you, y'all showed me this last night, and uh, I didn't realize how much work you guys put into this thing. Like, I know you guys have been talking about it. You've been mentioning it. I hadn't thought twice. And then, hey, take a look at this. Boom. 150 plus pages. Oh my yeah. goodness. It's... We took our own advice. We stopped <laughs> talking about it and we became about it. Yep. That's, it's incredible. So looking forward to seeing this as a PDF and I'll be sure to upload it uh, sometime later tonight. Yep. Although, I mean, it'll be uploaded by the time that they're hearing this. Unless yes, we... of course. Of course. I, I say we wait. Make them wait. They won't know. No, we got to do it now. They've already been waiting. We got to do it now. Alrighty. Well, uh, Austin, do you have any other exciting news? Uh, should I? I don't know. Do you? That's what I'm asking. I, I have, I have nothing. I've been up since two in the morning editing this fucking PDF. Uh, it's that's almost exciting. four in the evening right now. It is. It's. I was so excited, I couldn't stop myself. Well, uh, that'll do it. So tune in next time. Same uh, celestial coordinates. Same local standard hour until next time uh, good hunting